Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We have a jam-packed episode for you today. Our main star is Celine Martin. She's company group chairman of Cardiovascular and Specialty Services Group at Johnson & Johnson. I spoke with Celine this week about uh, her work at J&J, her career at J&J. She gives a little advice and uh, where her business in J&J MedTech are headed. So uh, make sure you check that interview out. Before that, though, we're happy to have Paul Grand, the CEO of MedTech Innovator, join us for the New Markers Newsmakers. Paul added a lot of great insight to uh, the individual items, including one that uh, that was uh, really more personal for him, and I really appreciate the uh, the input that he gave on that one. So make sure you listen to the New Markers Newsmakers Plus One because Paul, Chris, and I determined that Mass Device readers uh, missed a big story and we wanted to add our two cents. So uh, make sure you check that out. Paul's going to also talk about uh, an upcoming deadline for his MedTech Innovator Program. Make sure you check that one out. You don't want to miss it. Anyone running a privately held medical device company should listen. And finally, before we begin this episode, I wanted to bring in our sponsor, Norton Medical. I'm speaking with David Sagant. He's a vice president at Norton Medical. David, tell me about Norton Medical. What are your capabilities and uh, where are you located? Norton Medical is a global expert in the design, development, and manufacturing of complex medical devices and component technologies. We serve interventional, surgical, and specialized medical markets as the engine of innovations that help our OEM customers save and enhance patients' lives. Today's Norton Medical has more than 50 years in the making. Since the first Norton Medical facility opened in 1968, we've been strategically building our capabilities to offer customers a complete solution to their medical device development needs. This strategic build-out of capabilities has led Norton Medical to have a global footprint of 14 development and manufacturing locations spanning the U.S., Mexico, Europe, and Israel, allowing us to work directly with our customers where they are located. We'll hear more from Dave Sagant a little later in the episode. If you'd like to find out more about Norton Medical right now, go to its website, nordsonmedical.com. And Norton is spelled N-O-R-D-S-O-N. NordsonMedical.com. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Well, Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, Tom. Doing well. We're moving through December. We are. We've got one more podcast left after today. We'll have a wow. podcast in, in 2022. We'll be back in 2023, but we'll be uh, won't be putting one out on what would that be? What's next? So today's the I should have done this math in my before. So today's the ninth. Next week's the sixteenth. Yes. We will have one on the sixteenth. Oh wait, no, we'll have two more. We'll have the sixteenth and the twenty third. There we go. I don't know why I was rushing things. I was kind of frantic today. I thought I thought I had like one more week to get stuff done. Oh, whew. Yeah. I feel so much better. You just feel the relief pouring over you. Oh, yes, yes. But, you know, this is extra special today because, I mean, we've we've got a guest. We do have a guest. I was about to say, we could have just yes. called Paul Grand off until next week. We didn't have to rush him on this week, but he's right. here. But he's Paul here. Grand, it's awesome. Welcome. Hey, guys, good to be back in the booth. You got your 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 big microphone going on there. You sound super sharp, super clear. So Love it. Well, you know, I, 
I got to be able to compete with you guys. Uh, I mean, I, I you know I, I listen to you as you guys know. I'm a ra- uh, an avid fan, and uh, and I listen to you, and yeah. you guys sound so professional. And then I come on and I sound like I'm in a <laughs> echoey an echoey basement bathroom or something. So you're you're sounding like a pro today, man. It's great. Before we get into yeah. the uh, the newsmakers, the new markers, newsmakers, uh, Chris, I have a I have a confession to make. Confession. A couple of weeks ago, <laughs> yeah, when you weren't on the show, I recorded a. Uh, a message about well, I recorded the message for the podcast, and in closing about Twitter, I said, "Go on Twitter, check out my Wordle scores," and I bragged about how good I am at Wordle. And I was, I was on a roll. I was like Steph Curry, like three, 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 three. I was like crushing it. Did you cross a picket line, Tom? I didn't cross a picket line, but I bragged about my Wordle capabilities, and uh, I've kind of been in the toilet ever since. I'm still getting them, but I'm like uh, fours and fives now. It's becoming more like a football score than a than a than a basketball. Score. Gotta be careful about talking smack. Uh, I know, so I, I feel like I have to just make amends to the the Wordle gods here publicly and apologize. That reminds me of how like I I went to Ohio State. The Ohio State. The, yes, the Ohio State University. You know, because you know it's a great university. There's a the at the, at the front of the day. <laughs> you know, and uh, my uh, my wife went to the University of Wisconsin. I've made uh, I, I've I've made the mistake in past years of the Buckeyes were coming to to play the Badgers at Camp Randall. That you know, if I talk smack, you know, Wisconsin has an upset. So I just I I'm very you know humble about uh, about the badgers they've had a bad year this year but um you know say they're 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 going to come back and and maybe tom maybe you're coming back you those yeah. twos and threes are in your future too well i'm hoping that by coming clean on the podcast go, uh, that 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 the, again the gods yes. will let the the right words come to mind but it's been a struggle and paul i i know you're a wordle person as well correct i am a wordle person i do i've been playing uh playing pretty regularly in a little uh, family group for a long time Little family competition, little, little family right. competition, and uh, it's fun. It's fun to see everyone scores in the mornings, and it's a good, uh, it's a, it's a good daily daily habit. And in fact, I kind of uh, will find myself feeling really bummed out if I skip a day, like my streak is over, and I'm like, oh man, I forgot to do it. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah. that whole streak thing. You know, I, I'm all for it if you're doing it, but I don't think you should get penalized for if you forget one day. All right. Well, we're going to go into the uh, new markets, newsmakers in a moment. But Paul, you've got a, a bit of a MedTech Innovator announcement. You're CEO of MedTech Innovator. Take a moment to remind our listeners, no doubt they know what MedTech Innovator is, but tell us about MedTech Innovator and uh, let's get into your news real quick. Sure. Yeah. Well, MedTech Innovator is an accelerator, but we're a downstream accelerator for anyone who isn't familiar with us. So we're kind of, uh, we're like the graduate school for uh, for early stage MedTech companies. So you've gotten, gotten out of the academy and you've got your prototypes and some early evidence and maybe even some you know significant clinical evidence. And you want to make sure that you get to the market with as much value as possible. That's that's what MedTech Innovator is about. And um, we make sure that that good companies you know succeed and get into the market with as much value as possible. So uh, we got a great program that you know, has an incredible track record. And that's not me bragging about us. That's just the companies that we've selected over the years. We've got about, we have about a 4% acceptance rate. Um, so it's super competitive. And, um, and the companies that come out of MedTech Innovator on the other side are, are the leaders in our industry. Um, and, you know, one great measure of that is looking back at last year, um, out of all of the venture dollars that wow. went into and angel dollars that went into the med tech sector, about one in four dollars went to a graduate of med tech innovator. Um, so, uh, you know, so you, it's a good it's a good group to be in. 
uh, let's put it that way. Um, and, uh, you know, our companies are, you know, they raised billion over $2 billion. I think it was last year alone. So, so yes. uh, it's a good, it's a good place to be. It's a great, a great peer group, incredible corporate yeah. mentorship from some of the leading strategics, um, you know, companies like Edwards and Johnson Johnson, Olympus, uh, and, and more, we've got 30 corporate partners, you know, they're there to help work with startups and make sure their products are, are the kinds of things they're going to want to acquire someday. Um, and not something they're going to have to completely tear apart and redo. So, you know, that's their, their alignment is making sure the startup ecosystem turns into great products. Um, and, uh, and that's so that's that's Very medtech cool. innovator in a nutshell. And the uh, the news is that our application yeah. has opened for this next cycle, and uh, and that's 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 a Woo-hoo! big deal. Um, so this is the time to be applying. Uh, you just go to medtechinnovator.org slash apply, or just go to our homepage, and you can use the link at the top. But um, there's three different programs to choose from, all happening at the same time. Uh, there's the MedTech Innovator flagship, which is focused on companies that want to enter the U.S. market as their primary market. And let's face it, most people want that. Um, and then the second program is our Asia-Pacific yep. program, which is for companies that want to enter the Asia-Pacific markets as a primary market. And then lastly, we have Biotools Innovator, which is focused on life science tools companies, you know, those omics and sequencing and uh, protein, you know, synthesis, all that cool stuff that goes into helping to make the drugs and the biologics, everything but the drugs and biologics themselves falls under Biotools Innovator. Wow. And that program's amazing. We, you know, this will be our third year for that program. Um, all three applications are happening at the same time. Deadline is January 31st. And you might say, oh, that's great. I have two more months to go. Um, But we start the first phase of MedTech Innovator is a road tour. We invite about 20% of the applicants to pitch us in person in some of these big mega conference, little mini conference things that we're doing now. I say mega because they're bigger than they used to be. But um, we invite 60 companies at a time to a two-day event where they get to pitch all of our corporate partners and others and investors. And about 20% of the applicants will get to do that, which is a huge deal for them. Um, I mean, huge value. And um, we start filling those slots um, as soon as the beginning of January. I was saying it's, it reminds me of the, the old uh, old saying we had back in my drum buell core days, which was like, you know, to be uh, early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late, to be late is to be left. So they better get moving now or the bus is going to gonna pull away. I'm going to quote you on that. I'm going to put that, I'm going to put a picture of you on the homepage oh, man. and say, Chris Newmarker, to be on time is to be late. Um, that's right. Like that. So uh, yeah, that's the way we say it because you know, if you wait till January 31st, you're going to miss our first pitch event. You know, you're going to be slotted into the one that we do later, and that probably means more travel or something else. So you know, it's it's better to get in there early for sure. And if if you do apply at the deadline, like about half the people do, um, you know, you just get a little you know a little less selection. We'll get in. We'll get into uh, who who can apply, who the candidates are, what type of companies you're looking for in, in a couple of minutes. But Chris, why don't we uh, why don't we roll out the the new markers, newsmakers, and we can come back and revisit this in the, in a couple of minutes. So what is number five, Chris Newmarker? Well, number five on the list. Uh, this is this is a company we we all know well. Um, they uh, they even had uh, you know you know people uh, you know speaking at a uh, device mm-hmm. talks west uh, recently. Uh, Moon Surgical 
they got their first FDA uh, 510K for their uh, for their surgical robotic system, and it's just it's just a really a cool type of technology they have because it's that it's kind of more of like a robotic surgical assistant. So the you know the surgeon does what he or she always does, but you have a, a robotic assistant backing you up in the in the procedures, which uh, you know we've all heard about like shortages in healthcare staffing. So so a robotic surgical assistant, I it, it seems like that could be something that we could increasingly see demand for in over the years. That's great. Nope. Fascinating company. We had uh, CEO Anne Ozdois on the podcast a few months ago. And uh, looking at their their history, they raised the uh, $31.3 million Series A in uh, June. And uh, you reported that back in June, Chris. And uh, they had some great great investors, including uh, JDDC from from Johnson & Johnson. So Johnson & Johnson placing another bet in the surgical robotic space. And of course, uh, Steve Osterley and uh, Fred Mall are uh, on Moon Surgical's uh, board of advisors. So uh, they got a lot of uh, firepower behind them. Paul, I believe you uh, yeah. you know a little bit about Moon Surgical. I do. I mean, you know, it's very uh, appropriate that they're in the in the top five for this week because they made the top five at MedTech Innovator uh, over a thousand companies last year wow. in 2022. Um, they made it our top five. They made it to the finals this past October. And um, Moon Surgical is an, an amazing company. I mean, just has continued to blow everybody away. I can't believe they've already got a 510K. That's just crazy. Yeah. Um, considering what they're doing over there, they, they've gone so fast. When they, when they started MedTech Innovator in June of 2022, they weren't even doing clinical cases yet. They have done I can't remember the exact number. It's like in the 30s, I believe. Um, human cases and like five different indications at this point. Like they are just executing like crazy. And uh, the fact that they've gotten 510K clearance is 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 really uh, incredible. I mean, what an amazing team. And, you know, they have like the first employee at Oris, you know, over at the company, you know, they're, they're, they're just, they're literally just the, you know, one of the most right. exciting robotics companies. And they're yeah. not, the, you know, what we all think of when we think of robotics. Well, their product Maestro, as yeah. Chris, you indicated, is less of sort of a, a, a something that performs surgery, but rather will assist a surgeon in a surgery. So the robot yeah. is there to hold something in place, taking the place of a of a surgical assistant or or, or um, I guess a, a less experienced uh, surgeon who would be assisting that surgeon. Yeah, every one of the cases they've done has been done without an assistant. Wow. Everyone, wow. From the first clinical case to the case, the, the I've talked to several of their, the surgeons who've been using the system and they say like, this is, I can sit at the bedside. I do everything I normally do with a patient. I just have two extra arms That's awesome. and, uh, and I don't need any help. I don't need any help. They're like, it's incredible. From the first case until where they are, um, all their clinical sites just didn't That's schedule great. an assistant. <laughs> no, no, no one else in the room. And uh, they've done it just fine. Um, it's incredible. It's really a, an amazing piece of technology. And Chris Newmarker, we should point out that this selection of the Newmarker's newsmakers this week was was it was blinded, double blinded. There was Paul did not have an, any influence on the selection of these exactly. companies, correct? This was all you. This was looking at our analytics and like what stories were getting the most views from our audience. And, you know, and this. Well, let folks know that there's no. I, I, I just found out about them this morning. Uh, I, that was my first no hanky panky so, going uh, on. Uh, we didn't let I'm Paul, we didn't let Paul slip in a company just to like, you know, this is, no, there we go. Not at all. Hey everybody, Tom here. Hope you're looking forward to some time off this holiday season. But before we go, as mentioned, we have a couple of podcasts coming up, and we also have two more Device Talks Tuesdays coming up next week. And uh, given we are uh, in the midst of the holiday season, I took a uh, favorite of mine 
and uh, turn it into a little uh, little promo for our upcoming session. So here we go. Towards the week before the holiday break, when all through MedTech, not a PowerPoint was showing, not one single deck. When out at Device Talks Tuesdays arose two great discussions, APP will tell engineers how 3D metal printing can help them innovate more quickly. And PSN Labs is taking time to explain changing regulatory requirements for biocompatibility. So spring to your laptop, your PC, or the tablet on your nightstand. Register now for free. Watch both presentations live or on demand. That's it, folks. Go to devicetalks.com for more information about both programs, one on December 13th, Tuesday at 4 p.m., and one on December 15th, Thursday at 4 p.m. Let us uh, let's roll on to number four, uh, Chris Newmarker. What's next? Well, you know, you know, number four on the list is uh, the uh, CEO of Butterfly uh, Network is uh, is stepping down, and uh, they've uh, you know they've had some um, you know disappointing uh, you know financial results this year. Um, you know, they've had to, you know, adapt a plan to uh, extend their cash runway that, you know, included uh, some workforce reductions. Um, you know, they were the first probably really big SPAC that we covered just a few years ago. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's tough being a public company, you know, and I, I know we were like, SPAC's going to last and, you know, it's kind of feeling like those are they're passing, passing away for now. But uh, but here's to hoping um you know, things can uh, improve over Butterfly Network because, you know, the technology, um, you know, sounds, uh, sound, has always sounded really cool. Like this idea you could have a handheld ultrasound tech that you could, you know, get all ultrasound into emergency rooms and all kinds of places where they haven't used it as much and hopefully diagnose things faster. You know, if they're wheeling you into a hospital, they can find out what's going on. So, Well, it is certainly uh, cool technology. And, and, and just speaking generally about SPACs, there's always a concern that they, they get onto the public markets with, with less strenuous vetting than traditional IPOs. Um, and perhaps in the broader case of the SPAC class, we're seeing some of that. I don't want to tie that directly to Butterfly Networks because I don't really know exactly what their their their, uh, their difficulties have been. But uh, hopefully the CEO transition will uh, will turn things around. Paul, any insights on, uh, on Butterfly? I mean, I think it's, you know, kind of what you said, right? Yes, they're a public company, but, you know, through the SPAC vehicle. So, you know, there's a little less, a little less, um, I don't know if you want to call it uh, mm -hmm. diligence, whatever, you know, that kind of goes with that route. And so, you know, you're less under the microscope, but I don't think that's really the, I don't think it's the SPAC is the, really the issue here. I think it's just the early stage, you know, an early stage effectively still kind of reasonably mm -hmm. not super early stage, but still, you know, smaller company effectively. And in a time when, you know, people are hunkering down and making changes, they miss some of the, I think they miss their earnings. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that was, I think that, you know, when that kind of stuff starts happening, people start getting nervous. And, um, so I, I'm sure that, you know, they're just making some changes to try and ensure this company's future. Yeah. And their founder and board chair, uh, Jonathan uh, Rothberg is going to be uh, serving as interim CEO, uh, during the transition period. Yeah, we'll we'll see if they end up tapping uh, somebody else to be their uh, the new, their new CEO. I don't know, it could very likely be be somebody we know. So I do feel like we've watched Butterfly kind of grow up on this podcast. You and I started talking about it. I think like early on, like the first or second episode when we started doing this of uh, what they were working on, and then we watched it go public, and now we're seeing this happen. So hopefully, hopefully, we'll be reporting on some good news in the future. So Paul, circling back to uh, MedTech Innovator, and we've had this conversation on the podcast before. 
Uh, what kind of companies are you looking for? You're, you, you, or startups you're looking for? You're not looking for two uh, two people with a PowerPoint who have an idea. You, you're looking for someone a little more seasoned. Is that correct? Yeah, um, that's why I kind of refer to us yep. right as like the graduate school. Yeah. Um, we're looking for people who have a team. So that's that's one very important criteria. It can't be a all part time team. Um, that's not going to fly. You got to have someone who's full-time um, because we're giving you a ton of guidance and uh, we want to make sure there's people that have received that guidance. Um, so a team is important. doesn't have to be the perfect team or the full team. It just has to be a team who can execute at least during our program, um, which is a four-month program. Uh, we're looking for companies that have some kind of a prototype at least. Um, and so again, it might not be the finished clinical product that's already in design freeze. Um, most of them aren't. Um, and in fact, we like those because we can still get in there and roll up our sleeves a bit and mm-hmm. say, hey, if you made this change, um, that's going to have a big impact. Um, so we love to be able to give them feedback. I mean, that's one of the big reasons the corporates who are our partners do this is it gives them a chance to put their stamp on a product at a time when they're still able to receive our guidance and make a change. So they don't, as I said, they don't have to go rebuild it after an acquisition someday, um, which does happen a lot otherwise. So, um, so that's, so we're looking for somebody who's got those prototypes um, and then early evidence. So someone says, Hey, we built a prototype. We haven't tested it yet on anything. We have no idea if it works. Um, We'll probably wind up saying, come back next year. Um, We'd like to see some evidence that this is going to work. It can be bench data, human data, cadaver, whatever it is, animal data, something that tells us a little bit of a, okay, it looks like it works. Um, And, and of course, you know, I'm leaving out that, you know, this has got to be, you know, an unmet medical need that we think has, you know, significant opportunity. And and that doesn't mean it has to be a billion dollar market. It just has to mean that there's, there's going to be demand for this product. Um, We, I don't think any of us like, you know, back in things where mm-hmm. you have no idea if people really want this, we're going to have to go edu- be missionaries and convince people they need something. Um, you know, that's not an enviable position to be in. So, so we like things that there's, you know, there's, there's a significant pull for as well. It kind of sounds like the companies that you you bring in now are the types of companies that a, a big med tech company maybe 15 years ago would have just acquired, but they're, they've become a lot more risk averse. And it kind of really sounds like you're providing this really nice bridge to get them to that that extra point, you know, where they can then like, you know, get get acquired or go public or, you know, do some kind of exit, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely that finishing school. We're definitely that, you know, um, because we live in a world today where everybody wants more evidence, whether it's, you know, whether it's the the customers, whether it's, you know, reimbursement, um, you know, everybody wants to see some validation um, and they're they're less likely. It still happens, but they're less likely to buy that company, you know, super pre-revenue. And they're looking for some evidence. So, you know, we whip them into shape. We make sure that they are, we have a huge component of MedTech Innovators, our value program, where they all get coached by multiple value coaches who are, you know, market access professionals and who either work at the big companies or they're consultants in some cases, but, you know, we, we whip them into shape. So um, we, we, we challenge all their assumptions. We make sure that they really understand their value propositions and, and can, and can back it up. Um, so that's, that's a big part of what we do. So I agree. Yeah. Chris. I mean, this is definitely, if you turn the clock back 15 years ago, maybe somebody would have picked these companies up earlier um, and with some more risk, but everyone is super risk averse. Well, that's that. So that's what you're looking for. Uh, and again, they can go to medtechinnovator.org to apply. And uh, the deadline is the end of January. But start now. Don't wait. 
Start now. Start now. And actually, one other criteria I should have mentioned, um, and then uh, we can move on, is that you know people will say, well, what stage are you looking for? And we're looking for companies from a, a funding stage, anywhere from companies that have you know kind of friends and family seed type money, maybe a large grant, all the way up through Series C, as in Charlie. Um, so uh, you know, so there are you know about. About thirty percent of our companies each year um, are in the market. You know, they're later; they're, they're much further than you might think, um, and they still greatly benefit from this this program because it gives them access to the strategic funding, visibility at three or four conferences in many cases. Uh, you know, all sorts of things where nobody else gets that that visibility. But our companies at Advamed and Wilson Sonsini and Device Talks and great program. All right, Chris Newmarker. What is what's number three on the new markers newsmaker? Number three on the list, we've uh, we've got news. Uh, actually, this this th- we, we we you know we our managing editor Jim Hammerand uh, broke some news on uh, mass device and medical design and outsourcing this week, and uh, the roots of the news break uh, went back. To Device Talks West, Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. we break news at Device Talks West. But, uh, you know, it, it all started at Device Talks West uh, because uh, you know, uh, you know, Jim was uh, you know talking to uh, Avail Med Systems uh, CEO at the show, and you know, he was uh, talking about uh, you know how they're uh, you know getting involved in uh, third uh, you know third party uh, you know software. And, you know that they had plans to roll out uh, their first uh, third-party software integration, and now uh, here we are. They've got a, a deal with Medtronic Neurovascular that's uh, worth tens of millions of dollars. And Avail Systems allow you to get into the uh, you know the operating room and collaborate with you know surgeons while they're doing procedures. I mean, just just great for all kinds of networking. And uh, you know, Medtronic thinks this could like up the game with all the collaboration. You know, and you know, boost some innovation in the stroke space. So so really cool. We need to see what next. MedTech company, you know, uh, partners with Avail in this way. Yeah, well, what uh, I had a conversation with uh, Dan Hawkins, and and he's the CEO of Avail Med Systems, and Dan Voles, uh, the head of Medtronic Neurovascular. We'll have it, the Medtronic Talks podcast out next week with that interview. Uh, but this is something that uh, not only will this is has this been used uh, on procedures, uh, but where they're really seeing a, a great opportunity for Medtronic as part of their collab platform where. They're trying to uh, foster innovation in the neurovascular space. So right. the immediacy of Avail, which is a system that basically has audio and video and is in the OR, enables uh, engineers and entrepreneurs who are working with surgeons to really uh, uh, observe uh, neurovascular procedures as they're happening so they can uh, hopefully v- discover new ideas or vet ideas that they're working on. And uh, as they'll point out in the interview, and we'll, again, we'll run it next week, it's really hard to do with, with obviously, neurovascular because someone's got a stroke. It's not a scheduled procedure. You can't have an engineer who's, you know, planning to spend the day in the OR as you maybe can do with cardiac ablation or something that's a little more, uh, isn't as, as time sensitive. When when you got to go in a stroke, it's an emergency and you're, and you're yeah. working fast. So this will give uh, engineers at Medtronic sort of uh, immediate access to, uh, to procedures so they can- right. uh, I mean, see they, how they can improve upon their products. I mean, they were saying, you know, I mean, the Avail consoles don't record the procedures, but, you know, if a neurosurgeon's encountering something that's like a rare situation and they're trying to figure out, they, you know, they can, you know, conference in uh, Medtronic engineers to, to see for themselves, like, what's going on with the stroke patients. So, I mean, just, yeah, just just really, you know, could, could, could you know, be profoundly impactful. And this is one that... Um... 
actually had a little tie to MedTech Innovator and in that uh, the no. technology, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the technology at uh, at Avail that we're talking about, some of it had its early days as New Rep, um, mm. the original company okay. New Rep and URP, uh, and uh, Avail acquired that technology. And but New Rep was, you know, its its origin was, you know, eliminating the reps from the OR and putting all this really cool. Yeah you know, ability to observe and, and have real time interaction, um, remotely and, uh, and we're seeing it deployed now. So, uh, that's really, that's really exciting. Well, Avail, Avail kind of came onto the scene, uh, in 2020 is one of the companies that was, uh, helping to keep, uh, sales reps connected with surgeons during COVID when they were locked out, but their, uh, their history, uh, precedes that certainly. And they've, they have had, uh, long-time plans are kind of acting on long-time plans to to really strengthen this to create this telecommunication uh, connection between surgeons and those outside the OR. So again, it's really we've we've been talking about it as sort of a sales rep uh, uh, strategy. We obviously talk about it in an ability for surgeons to to consult and to watch each other and, and help each other, and hopefully that raises everybody's game. But it's really exciting to think about it from the engineer point of view, where where more yeah. engineers will get more access to live cases. And uh, Medtronic is really uh, expecting this to uh, increase or accelerate their uh, ability to innovate and to get to treat even more patients uh, more quickly than they had previously thought possible. So uh, exciting stuff. We're going to take a break from this conversation to bring in our sponsor, Norton Medical. Once again, I'm visiting with David Sagan, Vice President. David, tell me. What type of medical device companies do you work with? We work closely with customers to develop primarily interventional med device solutions that enable procedures such as transcatheter valve replacement, cardiac ablation, kyphoplasty, stent deployment, among many other therapies. Our solutions include both finished devices, including delivery systems, balloon catheters, and cannula, as well as component offerings that include engineered shafts, medical balloons, extrusions, heat shrink tubing, and complex nitinol components. With expertise ranging from finished devices to individual component optimization, we are uniquely positioned to partner with a broad range of customers covering the entire med device lifecycle. Thanks, Dave Sagans. We'll hear a little more from Nordson Medical a little later in the podcast. Once again, if you'd like to find out more right now about Nordson Medical, go to nordsonmedical.com. So number two on the list, this was exciting as well. We had, uh, we finally had the FDA clearance for the uh, Dexcom G7, their uh, their next gen uh, continuous. Yeah, it was really really good to see this. So and it's been very anticipated uh, in, in 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 you know the diabetes community in the United States. So I'm giving I'm giving an extra woohoo here because I am a diabetic. And um, I've been wearing a G6 now for uh, for a while, and oh, wow. I'm so excited about that G7! I can't tell you um, how excited I am because it's uh, it, it takes a whole step out of the process. Like you know, it used to be a two step thing. You put the the sensor on, then you snap in the transmitter. Now it's one step. It's like half the size. Uh, yeah. It, it warms. As a diabetic, I can tell you the worst time is that period where you have to warm up for two hours right now. And you're like, oh man, I don't have any data for the next two hours. But this one warms up in like 30 something minutes. It's like, it's incredible. Oh, wow. It's awesome. It's interesting. Insight. So what is that one step that it's eliminating? And, and is it a, is it a matter of time that you're saving or, disc- or discomfort that you're avoiding or, or both? So the, the step process is when you first get the device, you have a thing that looks that the, the G6, you have a thing, the applicator, 
to inject the the little you know the little sensor um, looks a lot like an old school computer mouse. And you okay. put it on your arm, and there's a little button you click, and it kind of makes a stapling sound, and you know, and injects the sensor. Which, by the way, I've never felt like I always think I did it wrong because I can't even feel it going in. I just hear the click. Wow! Um, and then you're left with like the you know the the plastic applicator piece and the adhesive, and you take your Bluetooth sensor transmitter, excuse me, the transmitter, and you snap that on. So that's the second step. It's a two-step process and you have to separately, you're separately prescribed the the transmitter, which, you know, every 90 days you need a new one and the sensors you need a new one every 10 days. So it just adds complexity, right? Um, the new thing, it's all one step. Uh, you just, the, the blue, the transmitter and the, is, is now disposable. Um, so it's, it, that's a super cool thing. You just pop it on, you know, one nice. step, no snapping on, no, no separate prescription to deal with. Um, so as it, you know, it just takes a little more complexity out of the process. Yeah, that's great. And you and I have had a conversation about how this has really helped you and, and really changed your life. Uh, I remember we've been talking on the phone, you've been out taking walks because you knew you had to bring certain things up and certain things down. Uh, what is having the G6 uh, done for you, Paul? It's amazing. So um, it lets me manage the disease in without insulin, um, which is incredible. So, so basically, um, in my particular case, I was diagnosed at 49, um, wow. as, a, as a diabetic. Um, and I thought it was type two, but it turned out to be type one. I have the, the GAD antibody, um, attack. So that's an autoimmune disease. And now I'm 54 and I still never used insulin, um, which is incredible. Um, so if I didn't, if, if I wasn't doing anything and I was just eating my, my burgers and bread and all that stuff, um, you know, I would be at huge risk for, you know, all sorts of, you know, secondary complications. But because I have the G6, um, I used to, in the old days, I used to prick my, you know, my finger. I don't know. I, in the beginning, it was lots of times during the day. And eventually I got lazy and I'd be doing it, you know, at most once a day. And, um, you know, you get one data point. Now I'm getting a data point every five minutes or every 10 minutes, um, which is uh, which is incredible. And so um, I can immediately look down, which I do. I have the on the desktop of my iPhone. I have the little Dexcom app um, and I can see my numbers at all times. And immediately I can go, oh, I just ate that, you know, whatever. And my blood sugar is now instead of being 150 or 140 where it should be for me, um, it's 220 or 200 or something. And I go, great, I'm going to go take a walk and call Tom. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, it's amazing because that's all it takes. I used to think you have to run, you just walk. Um, and my blood sugar at the end of the walk will be a hundred. Um, so, um, and I, and I know, I know I'm fine and I keep checking it and I'm like, great, I can go back to work. Um, if I didn't have that, I'd be walking around at 220 or whatever, you know, for the rest of the day. And, causing all sorts of potential risk, you know? So, um, it's, it's a wow. game changer. I know that word is used around. Mm -hmm. It is a game changer because I can completely manage my disease with this device without this device pricking my finger once or twice a day. I would have no idea where my blood sugar really is. You just get the average. Um, and wow. that, that, that average is, can be a real misleading number. Um, you want, you want the real time. So continuous data is huge. And that's where Dexcom shines because it's, it's Bluetooth. Um, and it's always transmitting to my phone versus, you know, some other devices where you have to scan them. So you have to go out of your way to go find the number. And although mm -hmm. it's still pretty awesome, um, you know, this is just totally yeah. passive continuous data. And, um, everyone I've talked to, I know a lot of diabetics and, 
they're all using the Dexcom G6. So um, we're all excited about the G7. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like there's like some real improvements there that are just you know going to make it even even easier to use, which that's just awesome. And to give a disclosure, yeah. Dexcom is a MedTech Innovator partner. They are one of our corporate partners. Um, and uh, but I would uh, you know they were my corporate partner for um for two years um a year and a half before i was using the product myself so um you know i only i only became an active g6 user in the last um about four months so and it's as i said i i was managing in in a really terrible way up until then i got the g6 and my life has been completely different totally altered great so so with the disclosure i'm telling you that's, um, that's very uh, that, noble of you to bring that, that up. Yes. That device <laughs> changer. Good. This is a device that I proudly tell my friends, like, I really wish you guys could get this device. Um, you know, it'd have to be off label, but like, you know, cause anybody's blood sugar goes up when they eat various meals and all the, you know, there's a massive population that's pre-diabetic and, you know, and this is, I think will be a game changer for them. So again, this is off label advice, but <laughs> I, I, I would love everyone to walk around and and you see, and if it's not the G6, you'll see all these wellness ads on your, your Instagram coming up now for similar types of devices that, that monitor your blood sugar. I think all of us are going to be monitoring our blood sugar one way or another in the future. Absolutely. That's good. Great point. So uh, yeah. Chris says Dexcom expects to initiate its US launch for G7 in early 2023. So Woo-hoo. it's coming. Here we Paul. Go. Thanks for sharing that. I really do appreciate yeah. that. That's great. It's we we Chris and I babble on about what all this great tech means for people with diabetes, and it's uh, it always it always helps to actually talk to someone who who either has it or knows someone who has it and can really explain the day to day work that goes into managing this disease. It's uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Agreed. Agreed. I feel that way about everything. I think the patient voice is just not heard enough. Amazing. And, yeah. uh, that's a big, big thing we're going to be at MedTech Innovator this year um, is, you know, increasing the patient voice in our program. So yeah. uh, you'll, you'll be seeing some stuff about that in the future. Mm. Little, little teaser. That's great. Get me some right. ideas for, for device talks as well. All right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> let's, uh, let's roll into number one, Chris. Well, number one on the list is we've got uh you know, Fresenius uh, Medical Care's uh, CEO is just is leaving just after two months uh, in the in the top spot. Uh, the, you know, the company is uh, perf- uh, promoting from with uh, within to uh, you know to replace her. But uh, they, uh, you know, this year, uh, you know, just just in recent months, we're announcing that they were expecting net income for the year to decline. You know, at a percentage rate ranging from the high teens to the mid twenties. You know, and they they were blaming slow results improvements to their North American healthcare services operations. I mean, we just, uh, you know, it's just, just another example how we do have like a lot of big med tech companies like dealing with these, you know, macroeconomic headwinds with, you know, the, uh, you know, staffing shortages at health providers and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how, how things go, uh, you know, moving forward with uh, new uh, CEO for Resenius Medical Care, uh, Helen Giza. No, it was an interesting transition. I've talked to Carla Cruz. She had been previously at Phillips. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I don't know what goes into this sort of transition. Paul, do you have any insights on why someone, beca- d- speaking generally about such such a thing, when a CEO takes a job and then gets in there and, and doesn't s- stay around very long, is it is it a discovery of the company discovering something about the CEO, the CEO discovering com- something about the company? Or a mixture of the two, or either, or I imagine it's I know they all were, of those things. They were saying strategic differences. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's like when someone says, hey, I'm going to go spend more time with my family. Um, It it feels like (laughs) one of those kinds of statements. Um, I I, I usually, you know, I I think that, um, you know, reading between the lines, um, as you said, Chris, about the strategic differences, I, you know, it seems like it just wasn't a fit. Um, And, uh, and it wasn't, I, I doubt that, she came in and recognized something horrible about Fresenius. I don't think that's the case. So I think it just, it just, you know, wasn't, wasn't a fit for her. Who knows why, um, you know, or it wasn't yeah. a fit for the company. Um, you know, it, was, it wasn't a fit for somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a short, she was only there for two months. So yeah. that's, that's a, that's a pretty quick something, you know, something just wasn't, you know, just wasn't right. And I don't know what that was, but that, you know, the good news is they made a quick decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. Made the decision, made a quick decision. And that's probably the most important thing. The best the piece of advice um, our CEOs always give the new CEOs coming into MedTech Innovator is um, nobody regrets the, um, you know, the amount of time when they, when they let somebody go the, uh, and again, I don't know what, what happened in this case, but I'm just saying in general, like they're like, they always, they, they always think, I wish I'd done that sooner, whatever that is. Um, so making a quick yeah. decision, I'm saying nobody regrets the regrets the quick decision. They all regret saying, oh, we waited a year, we waited six months, whatever. We knew it wasn't right. So whether it was you know her idea, whether it was the board's idea, whoever's idea it was, um, I'm sure whoever it is is happy that they made a quick decision. And and I'm sure Fresenius will benefit from that. Yeah. And, you know, and the and the wild thing here is we had so much of this news this week that um, I mean there was like yeah. some huge news this week that yeah just we were going to call you out on this, Christine like, Marker. Oh, Both I Paul and I were wondering yeah. what about Mike Masalam? What about Mike exactly, Masalam? Right? Yeah. right? I mean, which, you really you know, have to blame like, your readers, I think, right? Because this is all right? this is what they're reading. So you know what I suspect is uh, you know so yes you know like Edwards you know CEO he intends to you know retire from the uh, CEO spot uh, next year. Um, they're promoting from within you know for the new CEO. My best guess is I'm a solemn seventy, so maybe our, our readers were like, or unless you're. Uh, you know, like running for president, you know, you might want to, you know, like relax a little bit more in your 70s. So, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe that's what was going on. But like big news. I mean, he's like one of the major CEOs in the industry and Absolutely. really, like really helped, you know, I mean, he played a huge role in, you know, Edwards, you know, becoming just like this dominant player Taver that it is. And, you know, there's all kinds of other like really cool catheter delivered valve that you know edwards is really active with so it's an amazing company and you know and mike basalem is just you know an incredible presence in our industry and, and i can say even from the startup side he's just you know at all the conferences he's up there he in fact this year when we opened up our 10th anniversary medtech innovator finals this year you know um mike opened up the session he came out and did the intro and you know talked about innovation you know he's just a huge supporter of innovation he's always been very involved in stanford biodesign and and other programs in orange county i mean he is just a force um so i was shocked that it wasn't in the top five because uh it is the end of an era and you know i i'd be clicking that story for sure i clicked on it i did Right. So, uh, you know, I think you know, maybe he's number six. I don't know where he, he fell on the, new, the list. He yeah. was really, really close number six. I mean, he was, was actually yeah. number yeah. six. You're right. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I think you're probably right. I, I guess that the readers, you know, it's if, if anything is less surprising, it's probably yeah. that, you know, uh, butterfly CEO stepping down. You're like, oh, what's that? Surprising. About? Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, exiting after two months. That What is that about? But, you know, right? So, you know, maybe it just fell just slightly below that on the interest level. But, I yeah, think- but, yeah, but I'm glad we're acknowledging it because uh, Mike Masalam really is, um, yeah. uh, you know, kind of a, a, just a huge force in our industry. And, uh, and I'm glad he made the top six. 
Yeah. Maybe yeah, we should no. just expanded the newsmakers to six this week. Well, what we're, we're maybe giving... this is the mistake. Now I'm like second guess. We just. I yeah. think we just did it. We I think we just did it. There we go. Yeah, right. I think we we just yeah we 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 uh this is a a a, a co-host choice award so we'll give making, that to to Mike Musalaman. We're making one of those quick decisions right now. Exactly, like, exactly. Number we're six. Correcting we the problem, and, and I did, go. Paul. I like the fact you mentioned right. Stanford Biodesign. I mean, uh, he brought in Todd Britton from Stanford Biodesign. We had Farz yeah. Azampour at Device Talks West. I mean, these are people who are are in the trenches of innovation and now they're they're guiding strategy at a big company like Edwards. Uh, I really love that that marriage and that commitment to to the early stage tech. So uh yeah, it's going to be uh I, I've actually never had the opportunity to to interview him. So maybe I'll reach out and we get him on the podcast before he uh before he well, he's still going to be he's going to be staying chair? on his board chair. Yeah. Board chair. Yeah. So he'll still be yeah. involved. So yeah. we have some time. Still there. It's kind of like I I noticed that a lot with companies, you know, when a when a CEO is you know retiring, is like they'll stay on a bit as board chair. So it's, he's going to be a, a you know a non-executive chair of the Edwards Edwards board. Uh, Paul, do you know the new incoming CEO? So I, I don't know him. I mean, I've read the article, so I you know um, I've seen that, but I no, I, I personally don't know him, and I'm looking forward to getting to know him. And and I know they have a couple of um, other people they've elevated as well in the organization yeah. to uh, take on some additional. Exactly. Um, you know, higher senior roles in the organizations that are making some changes. I feel like it's one of those um, things, uh, like you see in a lot of companies where somebody leaves and you're like, we need three people to replace him. Um, I kind of feel like that's, uh, you know, the case at, at like in Edwards with Mike Masalam. I think, you know, you got to got to get split up that responsibility quite a bit. And it was interesting too that they're promoting the new CEO is currently the, uh, the VP and general manager of the, uh, of, of Edwards transcatheter mitral and, tricuspid therapies business which that that's really been their like next big thing i mean you know the so so obviously they they dip they they they, they dipped out and pulled up a vp who's you know leading who's been leading this next big thing and now he's going to be leading it as you know the head of the entire company now i'm very happy to bring you our interview with celine martin company group chairman of cardiovascular and specialty solutions group at johnson johnson but first, our last message from our sponsor, Nordson Medical. Dave Zakantz, how do you help your OEM customers? Typically, we start at the front end of the device development process, working with customers to understand the problem and develop a unique solution. Once a design solution is reached, we leverage advanced modeling and proprietary testing to verify that the design meets performance requirements, ultimately taking the product into mass production through our rigorous transfer and validation process. Norton Medical makes the device and the differentiated components in the device, elevating us in the market through a highly configurable manufacturing platform, providing our customers with significant design freedom and flexibility from a single source. Finally, it sounds like you have a long history of success and a great record of growth. Tell us, where do you see Norton Medical going in the future? What kind of growth do you see happening? Here at Norton Medical, we're constantly looking to expand our capabilities in ways that add value to our customers. Continually evaluating new technology, equipment, and processes to enable new solutions that make the devices better and more cost-effective. A prime example of this was the addition of Floratech business to our portfolio last year. This competency in fluoropolymer extrusion and PTFE allows us to offer a more comprehensive line of solutions. And when combined with our other proprietary technologies, it allows us to increase our responsiveness while providing unique solutions that only Nordson can deliver. Additionally, we are always looking to optimize our footprint with the right capabilities in the right locations. 
Along these lines, an exciting new step for Norton Medical is the new state-of-the-art manufacturing facility opening in Tecate, Mexico. We've been manufacturing in Mexico for the last 16 years, and the new Tecate facility reflects a commitment to provide our customers with a cost-optimized solution for full-device manufacturing. Combined with our U.S. locations, we provide rapid development and manufacturing options from our U.S. sites, and as a product transitions into greater market acceptance, we can readily transfer the production into our cost-optimized Tecate site. This is a real win for our customers because we can provide rapid development at launch and a defined path to an enhanced cost position. Thanks for joining us, Davis Gonsan. Thanks for sponsoring this episode, Nordson Medical. You can find more information on their website, nordsonmedical.com. Well, Celine Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to learn about the business that you're, uh, you're overseeing at, at J&J, but would love to first understand your, your path into uh, medical devices. People take uh, many different ways to get where they are today. So what was the first thing that interested you in the medical device industry? And what was your first job in the medical devices? So growing up, I wanted to be a physician. And I grew up in uh, Europe and I was uh, fortunate enough um, that my parents had friends and family members in the uh, medical field. So they had me immersed in uh, in the hospital for a couple of days to shadow physicians to make sure I would validate my interest in the space. And I'm glad they did, because what I came to realize is I want to be in healthcare, but I want to be way more impactful than addressing one patient at a time. Interesting. And so many years later, when JNG was hiring on campus uh, during my MBA program, I realized that I could actually fulfill my ambitions to touch millions of patients by being part of the medical device industry. So that's where it started. And my first job, I was a sales rep for Ethicon Endosurgery in the surgical field. That's amazing. So in that time between your following the physician for a couple of days and sort of understanding that wasn't the right fit, did you have in your mind that I want to get into a product-related field in healthcare? Or did you just... You, you kind of had a sense of where you wanted to go, and then you connected with the folks at Ethicon, and, and that sort of put all the pieces together for you. I knew I wanted to be in healthcare, and I knew I wanted to do something special. And yep. when Ethicon Endo was hiring, those were the early years of um, endoscopic surgery, and many invasive techniques were in full development, and I realized that we're about to change the world, and I wanted to be a part of it. And you've spent your entire career at the different businesses within Johnson & Johnson? I have been with JNJ for 27 years, indeed, across many different segments, always part of um, medical devices or now medtech. I touch practically all the segments outside of orthopedics. Uh, I lived in Europe and then moved to the US, East and West Coast, and I touched many functions, big companies, small companies, companies we acquired, companies we divested. <laughs> I went through many different business cycles over the 27 years. That's amazing. So I'm sure you're asked this a lot. What is your advice to, to J&J employees about not only staying at the company, but finding work that fulfills you at the company and, and making sure you're sort of moving your, your career along? So the beauty of working for J&J is we work for the world's largest healthcare company. So there's a lot of opportunities to uh, move around, um, experience new business environments without ever leaving J&J as, as a company. And my probably biggest advice would be to seek the experience and seek the opportunity and think of your career as a toolbox where every experience adds 
to your experience and, and overall rounding. And I often advise my team members and my mentees to think along four variables. One is uh, the variable of the function, moving around from commercial to program management to leadership. One being the company. Indeed, within JNJ, especially MedTech, you have many different segments from cardiovascular to surgery to orthopedics to think across geographies. It's very, very beneficial to relocate from your own native country to a different geography and learn how to adapt. And that is, of course, the leadership side and how you move from being a, an individual contributor to eventually managing people and eventually being a leader of a group. So I often say when you move, think always about the move afterwards, but try to always move one variable at a time across those four variables. And I would say that in general, whether it be for technical functions or commercial functions, this uh, formula actually works really well. Interesting. I'm just curious, as you've moved from business to business, when you when you relocate to a new business with J&J, is it more familiar than it is different because there's sort of a, a DNA there, a foundation that it's still a J&J company? Or does it feel like you've actually moved into a different business and maybe it's less familiar than it is familiar? I would say the credo is the anchor across all the businesses. So there's a big element of culture that remains um, the same and that is foundational. Having said that, each business is very different by product of the size, the business dynamics, uh, the technology per se, and the formula to be successful uh, tends to be different depending on the business uh, segments you serve. But the foundation culturally remains the same and it's all credo anchored. Interesting. So, and I just want to talk about the larger changes at J and J right now. You mentioned Johnson and Johnson MedTech, the separation from consumer. There, Johnson Johnson will remain one of the biggest MedTech players by far. But I'm curious, how are things feeling with the diversification and, and the separation? Is it feeling more directed because you're Johnson and Johnson MedTech now, uh, or does it feel the same as it did two years ago? There's a number of changes going on within JNG, and I think we're opening up a new era under a new leadership with Joaquin Duatel. Of course, the first big change is the announcement of spinning off the consumer health uh, business uh, outside of JNG in the course of 2023, and we announced a new name, Kenvu. This is a great opportunity for the consumer team to be independent, running their business based on drivers and dynamics that are proper to consumer. And this allows then the rest of GNJ to become a two-sector-based company, pharmaceuticals on one side and medtech on, on the other hand. And um, for medtech in particular, the transition as an identity from MedDevice to medtech is really inspired by our desire to really reimagine health and making sure that we do so in a world that is more and more uh, digital and where technology is driving and enabling the future of our portfolio. And has that focus, can you feel it sort of day-to-day in the medtech business? Like we're, We are now a medtech business. We're not part of a larger global business. Does it feel different? We, are, we remain a global business, uh, undoubtedly. What uh, feels different is um, the use of technologies, whether it be robotics in surgery and orthopedics, the um, use of um, machine learning, artificial intelligence. We are much more 
from a product development standpoint, a software-enabled company when it comes to the technology architecture. I would also say that beyond the technology per se, there's a desire for JNG MedTech to be anchored with high growth categories and to be leaders in the segments where we play. And I'm sure you're aware that we recently announced the uh, intention to acquire Abiumed with an intent to become a much bigger player in the cardiovascular category and making an impact for patients who suffer from heart failure. No, that's a, that was an exciting purchase, and and I did I did want to sort of ask about that. What is it like when a when a, a deal like that is announced? I'm sure you're, you're well aware of it before any of us are, but it must be exciting to to bring in a, a new exciting property like that and really energize an organization. It was especially uh, exciting for uh, for the medtech employees, but I will say for myself as a leader who essentially took Cordis outside of J and J to know that we're going back into cardiovascular care uh, beyond the business we have in electrophysiology with Spars and Swapster is very exciting. I I do think that the amount of opportunities uh, from an unmet need standpoint, the breadth of the population we can serve and the impact we can have is tremendous. And I'm very excited to see JNJ back into CV in in a big way. I believe that, sure. Well, let's talk about your your current business. Your your company group chairman of cardiovascular and specialty solutions group. What are the businesses that you oversee? How how large is your group? Give us a little bit of background on that. So my group is called CSS, which stands for cardiovascular and specialty solutions. And the way I typically frame it is there is a subset that is essentially JNJ interventional with thousands Webster a market leader in uh, EP, particularly in atrial fibrillation, that is uh, very big in size, more than $4 billion in in revenue, and known for very rich pipeline and strong cadence of innovation. You may have heard of the Cardo system that is foundational as a 3D GPS navigation technology to navigate the catheters in, in the heart. The second company in the group interventional is Serenovus, which serves stroke as a category. And we're playing in two segments, ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke, uh, largely with catheters, stents, and um, devices that are essentially designed to remove clots. Then we have the surgical category called specialty surgery with Mentor, that is a leader in breast aesthetics, and Clarence a company dedicated to balloon sinusplasty to serve ENT patients. That is essentially the group of four companies I run, all based in Irvine and largely unified by a culture that is very unique to CSS. Focus on innovation is the, the oxygen of the business and truly enabling growth. How do you, they're very diverse businesses uh, as the, the leader of that group. How much time do you focus on on do you, you encourage them to operate as different businesses since they're so different? You sort of want them to be close, to have their feet close to the ground or, or to operate close to the ground in each of their different businesses? Or or, or do you want them to function more as a, as a more cohesive, larger unit? Or how, how do you sort of determine which way to go with that as a leader of a group like that? The common theme across CSS turns out to be the location anchor, which is Irvine in Southern California, and the culture as I mentioned earlier, related to the uber focus on innovation and growth. Having said that, all four businesses are run independently. They are very, very dedicated to their customer base with different technologies, 
I am running the group as a um, essentially an ecosystem of companies based in Irvine, a team that is very focused and, and nimble. But wherever possible, if there's opportunities, I'm enabling the connections, one, from a talent standpoint. It's a great story for people in Irvine to know that they have ways to grow and develop without having to move away from Southern California. Second is um, on the technology side, there are technologies that can be leveraged in service of different applications. And I'll give you a prime example. I mentioned the quarter system earlier for Biosense Webster, which is a navigation system designed for EP. We were able to leverage that core technology and know-how to develop a navigation system for ENT. And this was developed in less than three years, which is record time, considering that we're able to truly leverage the core technology components that were in existence for the Cardo system. So there are some benefits, but at the end of the day, those are very unique and different businesses, and we should give them the support and the specialization they deserve. Indeed. Well, let's focus on a couple of the the, the businesses and, and just find out what are some of the new developments in, in each space. Uh, electrophysiology is obviously a space that's receiving a, a, a lot of attention. There's a lot of need for for new products there. What is happening in that business? What has you excited about uh, some of the, the new products there? So for Basin Webster, uh, I want to start with the unmet needs and the condition we serve is atrial fibrillation as a disease state. It's um, quite frankly an epidemic in the making when you think of the incidence of this disease. One patient out of four above the age of 40 will experience AF in their lifetime. Wow. We estimate that there's about 40 million AF patients today. And why is it important uh, to address? One, the quality of life is impaired by virtue of having regular AF episodes and the condition can worsen over time. Second, uh, you have five times more risk of stroke when you have atrial fibrillation and your mortality risk is also increasing. Now, we know that we have about 40 million patients today. By 2030, we expect that there will be five more million patients added to the pool every single year. And so today, while AF ablation is a standard of care, the penetration is sub 10%. So what's exciting about uh, what we're doing is that over the last 10 years, we're able to truly establish AF ablation as a standard of care. We're able to take the procedure time down from what used to be four hours now to about an hour. The success rate went from 65% to now 90 plus percent but there is still a large intraoperator viability. So what we're doing as a company is we're really focusing in partnership with physicians on unmet needs. So we're looking at really focusing our innovation on four dimensions. Locate what to ablate, so know where you have to deliver energy, then deliver better lesions, simplifying the procedure, and eventually eliminating fluoroscopy. Mm-hmm. And we have a very, very exciting pipeline addressing all those unmet needs. Now, what's important to know is that while we have made great progress around the procedure time, there's still, again, intraoperative viability. And there is sometime a risk of having very severe complications linked to the energy source you're using, radio frequency. Hmm. So what's exciting about the EP space and what we're working on now is what you may have heard called irreversible electroporation, also called pulse field ablation. And essentially the idea is that 
the technology, the energy itself can help discriminate between the myocardial tissue that you need to ablate versus other tissues like vascular structures or nerves that you don't want to ablate. And so now with this new energy source called pulse field ablation or IRE, you're essentially able to get much more in safety with a very quick procedure time without having to worry as much about complications. And so that's at the essence of, of the latest innovation trends in DP space. And we as a company believe strongly that we're going to leverage the learnings and all the experience we have from radio frequency, which is a legacy technology, and apply all those learnings to the IRE portfolio. So we're going to have it cardio enabled. We're going to have contact force. We're going to have tools like the ablation index, and we'll have a very solid catheter portfolio, uh, a focal tip, a mid-size and a single shot, really to have a full catheter offering that is PFA enabled, that essentially mirrors what we have today in radio frequency. So we're in clinical studies as we speak, running an ID study in the US. We're just about to submit for CMARC in, in Europe. So this is the next frontier in the field of uh, electrophysiology. What is the, the market like for physicians in this space? Is there a, a sufficient number of clinicians who are available to treat patients who need it? Is that sort of a bottleneck that's kept from getting all the people who need the treatment? Or is it more of a, a case of diagnosis? People need to know that they need the treatment to get the treatment. Are there any sort of challenges outside of the technological that J&J is sort of working to help overcome? Yeah, I think there's a couple of uh, bottlenecks. Uh, I would say one of them is indeed the, the number of physicians readily available to treat those patients. Clearly, the, the volume of patients, candidates versus the number of physicians readily available to do cases, there's a mismatch. This is why we're pushing so much the efficiency so we can accommodate more cases per day. That's one. Second is um, patients are often lost in the shuffle of, of knowing they have a fee but not knowing what they need to do. For example, they, they show up in the emergency room and they are being placed on, on medications uh, forever. So we are doing work to raise awareness around the importance of really seeking ablation early after diagnosis, such that you're, you have a chance to be truly treated and, and free of AF versus living with a condition that will be worsening over time and really going from a condition that is called paroxysmal, which is a few episodes here and there, to a chronic AF, which is very, very devastating. So we're really raising awareness around that for AF patients to make sure that uh, they know where to go and they seek ablation as soon as possible. Interesting. And final question. I know you've got a lot going on, but I did want to ask about the uh, your neurovascular business. It's another space where we've seen a lot of new products, a lot of interest, a lot of a lot of advancement. What what is going on? Uh, what what is new in your your neurovascular business? So on the neurovascular side, I would say the most exciting area we have uh, relates to number one, a new product launch for hemorrhagic applications, um, a new coil uh, platform that uh, is very exciting going to 2023. And on the ischemic side, it's move, moving from essentially having just a stent river technology to being able to do aspiration and uh, making sure that more and more operators can tackle the stroke patients in a timely manner. Those are the exciting trends we see in the field of uh, neurovascular. Fantastic. And and just final, 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 final question. 
Anything else uh, I should be asking about that, that you're excited about? You've got a lot going on. We talked a little bit about the uh, Abiomat acquisition. And as you said, it's it's nice to see a move back into, into that space. Any final things you'd like to, to discuss? We're really looking forward to welcoming Abiomed uh, as uh, part of the GNG family. We're weeks away from, from doing so, and uh, we're very excited to uh, truly go after heart failure, heart recovery. And I would say we're not going to stop there. There's so many more opportunities in the CD space. That is uh, what excites me. Uh, the moment you have a foothold in the coronary space, I think there's many other things we could do, and that's going to be part of our growth agenda going forward. Excellent. Well, it'll be exciting to watch and, and great for patients as well. Celine Martin, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Chris Newmarker and Paul Grant. Paul, you're our visitor. So uh, tell folks where they can find you out there uh, in social media land. So I'm mainly on LinkedIn. Uh, so if you just go into LinkedIn and look for Paul Grand. If you do a search for Paul Grand MedTech Innovator, you'll find me um, for sure. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Life Science VC. Um, That's right. Little, little legacy nice. there from my uh, prior job. Um, so you can find me there. But uh, MedTech Innovator, you know, Paul Grand LinkedIn, that's where to find me. All right. Chris Newmarker, where can folks find you? Hey, I'm on LinkedIn. Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And uh, yeah, that's where I am mainly as well. But yes, I'm on, on Twitter at, at Newmarker. Excellent. Not wordling yet. <laughs> you got to get your Wordle scores up there. <laughs> I am. Uh, I read. I just restarted posting my Wordle scores at MedTech Tom, uh, and uh, of course you can find me on LinkedIn. Tom Salemi, S A L E M I. Chris Newmarker, what do folks need to do right now? You need a like, follow, subscribe. That is absolutely right. And Paul, I would have asked you. I knew you got it last time, so I know I know you know the routine now. But uh, folks need to like, follow, and or subscribe to this podcast so they can not only get the Vice Talks weekly, but they can get uh, Intuitive Talks, Striker Talks, and uh, we've got more podcasts, yeah. plural, rolling out in 2023. So uh, you want to make sure you sign up for the uh, Device Talks podcast network so you don't miss uh, all of these great insights on the medical device industry. We a mentioned smorgasbord of you know med tech uh, insights and content. Yeah. We will, that'll be on the website. I think that's a real catchy one there. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, the word, uh, the word for the week is smorgasbord. <laughs> that's, not gonna, that's not going to fit in Wordle. <laughs> yeah. Bored. Uh, you can get bored in there. There you go. Bored. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll have Paul back in, uh, in a couple of weeks or probably a couple of months to talk about Device Talks Boston. As we mentioned, MedTech Innovator will play once again an integral part at Device Talks Boston. We're excited to have you back, Paul. Excited to be back there. We're going to be debuting something we've never done before. We always like to innovate, and we're mm. going to be we're going to be uh, launching uh, the first of our investor showcases. So we're going to be bringing bringing back some of the top companies from MedTech Innovators graduates, our alumni, who are out there fundraising. And as I said, about one in four deals in the year that gets funded is a MedTech Innovator company. So you can you can bet that the quality will be high. So very excited to partner with you guys on that. That's going to be great. Can't very wait to cool. hear more. All right, folks. Well, thanks for, uh, for listening to this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Tune in next week and the week after that for our final two episodes of uh, 2022. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thank you. Great being here as always, and uh, can't wait to be back. Chris Newmarker. Have fun as always. Take care, everybody.